So come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the wind that blows. Come as the fire that refines. Come as the dew that refreshes. Convict, convert, and consecrate us until we are wholly yours. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Who you are determines what you see. And the King Herod that we read about in today's gospel was like many people in positions of power. His identity was wrapped up entirely in his office and in his power. He's known as Herod the Great because of his colossal building projects, including the renovation of the temple in Jerusalem. But he was not so great. He was paranoid about losing the only thing that mattered to him, his power and his office. He was so wrapped up in himself that when the Magi came to him and said, there's this new king that's been born in Israel, well, he grew afraid. In his paranoia, he said to them, listen, why don't you go look for this child, and when you find him, let me know so that I may come and worship him. And of course, warned in a dream, they didn't. And when Herod found that out, if we were to go on in the gospel passage today, we'd find that he went then to Bethlehem and with his soldiers used his sword to put to death every male child uh, to and under. What is Herod's legacy? That's his legacy. And his building projects? Not one of them survives to this day. Now, 40 years later, another Jewish leader came on the scene. His name was Saul, later Paul. Paul had no palaces other than the ones he was imprisoned in under false pretenses. Like Herod, he also received news that might have made a man wrapped up in his position and his leadership do what Herod did with the sword. But, but Paul's response was entirely different. When people came to him uh, when he was imprisoned in Philippi, and told him, well, there are these people preaching Jesus uh, who are doing so out of motives to displace you from leadership in the church. You know what Paul said? He said, praise God. Not with a sword, but with a song on his lips. Praise God. I don't care if their motives are good or bad. The fact is that Jesus is being preached, and that's a win for Jesus, and it's a win for the kingdom, even if I'm sitting here in prison. And Paul's legacy, a good part of this book, a movement that changed and upended the Roman Empire, churches in every city, a church here in Loganville, you and me, his legacy. Who you are determines what you will see and what you will do and the legacy that you will leave. How do we account for this remarkable contrast for the way that Paul saw things, for the way he responded with grace, confidence, praise, and an all-glory-be-to-God attitude in everything he did? Simply this, Paul found his identity in Jesus Christ alone. His identity was in Christ alone. Now, if you open your Bibles 
or the bulletin that you have this morning to that passage from Ephesians chapter 1, you're going to see seven times in 14 verses how Paul stresses this identity in Christ. In verse 1, which is not in your bulletin, but it would, you'd find it in your Bible, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him, that is, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Verse 11, in him we've obtained an inheritance. And twice in verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You think Paul's trying to make a point here? Seven times over, Paul says, you have no idea how blessed you are because you now have an identity that is rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. Did you know that the preposition in has 2,600 different uses in the New Testament. But when in is put next to the word Christ, it has only one meaning, one distinct, unique gospel meaning. It means in Christ we belong to Jesus. And Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. He says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. We are not radically autonomous individuals who've chosen to take a bit of Jesus and his causes upon ourselves as a matter of our freedom to shape reality the way that we want. That person's dead. That person died when he or she came to the end of themselves and recognized they needed a soul transplant and a heart transplant. That person was bought with the price of Jesus' blood. In Christ, that person died with Jesus on the cross. In Christ, that person was buried with Jesus in his death. In Christ, that person, you and me, were raised with Jesus by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So that Paul can rightly say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So it means that God's perfect love has taken hold of you and me and is making us into new creations who can love others, heal incurable wounds, and perfect justice, just as Jesus did. Because our life is completely identified with his life. Paul described it this way in in his letter to the Galatians at chapter 2, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul, what are you saying here? Is it Jesus living in you? Is it you living in Jesus? Is it both? Paul seems to be saying, I don't know where Jesus leaves off and I begin or where I leave off and Jesus begins. We're that tight. That's what it means to be in Christ. 
because the life he offers us now is a life of empowerment. He empowers us for a, a kind of living in which the continuing reality of sin can be overcome again and again and again, including all the wounds and habits and hurts and hang-ups from our own origins. But even more than that, Paul says our identity in Christ empowers us for a kind of living three times, he says. Three times he circles back to this phrase, to the praise of his glorious grace. God's glory is his beauty. What is it? It's who God is. It's the weightiness of his beauty, his power, his splendor, his majesty, everything that makes God, God. And so for you and me to be in Christ and live to the praise of his glory means that we live, as C.S. Lewis said, as little Christs. We allow Jesus so to live in us and we in him that we begin to look and feel and speak and see and do like Jesus would if he were in our shoes. So that every action we do is in Christ and to the glory of God rather than to the glory of ourselves. Imagine that. So that other people would look at us and be compelled to ask, what is it about you? What is it about this goodness that seems to have a hold of you? This moral compass that I don't necessarily see in others. And you're always giving the glory away from yourself to this God you talk about. Tell me more about that. You see, in, in Christ, we become new creations, not merely believers in a cause. We are belongers to a person. We belong to Jesus. And who we are in Christ shapes what we see, not only about others and our world, but ourselves. We don't ignore the family origins, the facts, the wounds, or the injustices that shaped us and gave us our identity before Christ. But the life that Jesus offers us, his life, his transforming love, his healing grace, his way of being and seeing and doing, all of that right now takes precedence over any other origin or narrative that has shaped our identity up to now. Who are we? You know, that is the heart of the question and the conflicts driving our culture today. Our culture says that the essence of who we are is personal, radical autonomy, the freedom to shape reality any way we want to shape it without worrying about any moral compass. Could this be why our leaders seem to be seeing things more like Herod than like Paul? Could that be why we see threats instead of gospel opportunities, scarcity and poverty instead of gospel possibilities, incurable problems and wounds to be managed rather than healed once and for all and reconciled through Jesus Christ. When your identity is in Christ, you see something different about your life. You see that everything you do is part of a God-sized plan 
that will last for a lifetime. In verses 9 through 10, Paul says that in Christ, you and I share in God's plan. What's God's plan? The mystery that's been revealed from the ages? It's to bring everything in heaven and on earth under one head, Jesus Christ. Imagine what it would be like to live each day like my friends Vern and John, who I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, asking with each daybreak that kingdom assignment question, Lord, in the, in the circles that you've called me to walk in today, what's the, what's the one person, the one thing, the one conflict, the one problem, a challenge that you want me to help bring under your headship today? That one thing. What it would it be like to live every day like that? When your identity is in Christ, you see things with a confidence that can't be shaken because in Christ... There is therefore now no condemnation, right? There's only a fresh start every morning and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because in Christ, nothing you and I do will ever be in vain, right? Because in Christ, as Paul said, God chose us in verse 4. He loved us from the beginning in verse 5, and he adopted us in verse 6. Three words that demonstrate his unbreakable commitment to you and to me. Because in Christ, nothing, Paul says in Romans 8, nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Nothing past, nothing present, nothing future, no principalities or power, nothing. Imagine what it would be like to live each day seeing everything and everyone around us with such confidence, conviction, and hope instead of shame or guilt or fear. When your identity is in Christ, you see that you have a really big family, people you've never met before, people who come from every family, language, tribe, and nation from all over the, the world, people you might not have chosen to be part of your family, right? But people who love you, who encourage you, who come alongside you, embrace you, and and cheer you on with a welcome that will not end because they too share the same identity in Christ. In 2005, when we left the Episcopal Church and went to the Church of Uganda, we got assigned to a wonderful bishop, Benazeri Kisembo, and his wife, Lovey. They came to stay with us in South Riding, Virginia, in our home for two weeks. Boy, that was a trip. Never had a bishop do that. And Lovey lived up to her name till one day, you know, in this time when we had no grandparents and our daughter, Kirsten, came home from a, a bad day in early elementary school. And she was in tears and Lovey was there and said, child, what's going on? And come here and sit in my lap. And she, uh, she wrapped her arms you know, around Kirsten and just rocked her and said, it's okay, child. Jesus will take care of it. And that was Kirsten's grandmother right there, all the way from Renzori, Uganda. Of a family. A family with such incredible embrace of love in Christ Jesus because we're all in Christ. 
And when your identity is in Christ, you see divine resources that never run out. Paul lists them in this first chapter of Ephesians, forgiveness of sins, wisdom and understanding, grace and power and love freely lavished on us, the promised Holy Spirit, incomparably great power in verse 19, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, peace with God and others. And that's only the beginning. Just read on in that book of Ephesians. Imagine the legacy we could leave in Christ if we brought these resources to bear in our families, our communities, our workplace, our government, our politics, in service to God and His plans to bring all things together in Christ with a confidence in Christ that cannot be shaken and together with a family that will help you live out your identity in Christ intensively and together. What would that look like? Let me close with a picture from my own life. Years ago when I was a fresh, full of myself attorney out of law school, a gung-ho prosecutor in Orange County, trained by the California District Attorneys Association to prosecute sexual assault crimes done by minors upon minors, juveniles upon juveniles, and I was pretty good at it. I'd won the trial deputy of the month trophy for several months in a row from putting so many kids in jail. And one day, this mom and her little eight-year-old boy came in. He'd been raped by another. And I was there with my tie and my start shirt and my yellow legal pad and pen, and I sat down, and that little boy burst into tears, and then his mom burst into tears. And I remember hearing God say, as clear as a bell, and what will one more notch in your prosecutor's gun do for this little boy and his mom? How can I help? See, I've been wrapped up in a false identity, and I've let that displace my identity in Jesus Christ. And once God got my attention, he enabled me to see that little boy and his mom not just as people for whom I needed to win a trial, but to ask some deeper questions. How can we help you after this trial is over? How can we help you not be traumatized anymore? But more than that, to look at the 13-year-old perpetrator and to see him in a different light, not just as someone who needed to be thrown away, but as someone who needed to be delivered from a family and generation cycle of sexual abuse that he himself was acting out upon others. Some of my colleagues said, oh, Ashy, you know, uh, you've lost your edge. You're becoming a bleeding heart. You're not going to make it to be judged if you keep going this way. But see, what, what, what Jesus did is he helped me rediscover my identity in him. And part of that was learning how to practice law as Jesus would if he were in my shoes. And being part of that plan, man, it's taken me all over the world. I can't wait to see where it'll take me next. Because you see, who we are 
in Christ defines what we see and what we do and the legacy we, leave, we live. I listened to a great song this morning. Here's the lyrics. You called me out of darkness and you silence every lie. And no other voice will define me because I belong to you. I belong to you. And by your blood, I've been adopted. I've taken on your name. And I need to be reminded that I belong to you. Yes, I belong to you. And the enemy can't take what I have or change who I am because I belong to you. And I'm sure when Here Be Lions wrote that song, Belong to You, they were thinking of this passage we just read in Ephesians. We, the church, are being called in 2021 to recover the biblical understanding of what it means to be in Christ, that we might be to the praise of his glory. We've practiced a culture of casual Christianity where in Christ means worshiping for a few hours on Sunday morning, taking communion to nurture our identity in Christ, and then having our identity in Christ displaced the rest of the week by our culture's relentless barrage of false identities. No more. No more. It's time for us to stand up together to recover our one true identity in Christ, to live out the life he's given us as his family intensively in 2021 and beyond. You called us sons and daughters. You made us walk on water. Your power flows right through us. For we belong to you. We belong to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.